episode 95, The Rungless Ladder. I'm Morgan Shortle, and you're listening to the December 2nd, 2009 podcast from the Kansas Historical Society. In this podcast, museum staff reveal the story behind the story about artifacts featured on the Cool Things section of our website, kshs.org. Mention the word ladder, and most people picture long rails crossed by parallel rungs. It's hard to imagine a ladder without rungs, and yet that was the vision of one Kansas inventor. Join curator Blair Tarr and me as we examine one of the true oddities from our museum's collection. And then, December 2nd is the birthday of actor Ray Walston, who would have been 95 today. So, in honor of his 95th birthday and our 95th podcast, we'll connect this veteran character actor to William Allen White. What does My Favorite Martian have to do with the Sage of Emporia? Find out when we play Six Degrees of William Allen White. But first, The Rungless Ladder. Good morning, Morgan. <laughs> Good morning, Morgan. Thank you. <laughs> um, well, today we're talking about, um, let me get this straight, a ladder with no rungs. Isn't that kind of like a staircase with no steps? Are you saying you wouldn't find one useful at exhibit installation? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, when I hear the term rungless ladder, I think of two poles, but it's a bit more complicated than that, right? Can you describe this thing for our listeners? Uh, yeah, I think I can. Anyway, <laughs> uh, yes, there are two poles essentially on either side, and mm-hmm. there may be occasionally a, a metal brace that sort of keeps them spread apart and together, like a ladder would be. It just has all those unnecessary rungs every few inches. That, yeah, um, very unnecessary. <laughs> But it does have one or two, two other things, actually, that uh, uh, a regular ladder doesn't have. On the insides of each pole, there is a little platform for each foot. Okay. And you put your foot there, and then there's a pulley system that pulls the platforms up and down oh. so that you can move along the ladder. And it's really almost ingenious in some ways. <laughs> It seems rather complicated. <laughs> so you don't have to step, essentially. You, don't have you, to just, step. you just have a ratchet system. Up, yeah, sort of. it's... Okay. Um, interesting. But you still have to move from right to left when you're on a ladder. That doesn't really solve that problem. Yes, yeah, so you have to. Yeah, that part is. So you still have to get up and down. Okay. Yes. Well, anyway, um, so who invented this oddity and more importantly, why? <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a gentleman named Sylvester Barringer who was from Beatty originally, and at the time he invented this, I think he was actually down in Emporia. Uh, <clears throat> Mr. Beatty was a, yeah, Mr. Beatty, Mr. Barringer was a bit of a tinkerer <laughs> and an inventor. In fact, he actually had a patent back in 1901 when he was a teenager for a cutting device for a harvesting machine. I'm not sure how successful that was, but <laughs> he did this, and 60 years later, he gets another patent for this lovely rungless ladder. Uh, <laughs> he, as I said, he is. This is sort of his hobby. He's a farmer. He's he was a state legislator for a while, and I think he had a few other business interests. Man of yeah. many trades. So, 
This was his hobby to tinker around and invent things. <laughs> so I ima- imagine that Behringer, Behringer's invention was uh, wildly successful and made him a ton of money, right? Well, they say if you build a better mousetrap, the world will come running to your door. And it's perhaps, in this case, he says, stuck with the mousetrap. Uh, <laughs> it got a lot of attention, actually, because everybody sort of had the same idea. Rungless ladder? What, what, what is this? Uh, Shortly after he got the patent, there was what was called the Kansas Inventors Congress that met for the first time in McPherson. Mm-hmm. Or McPherson. I'm sorry to everybody at McPherson for, <laughs> McPherson for saying that. Uh, but anyway, at this inventors meeting, that was the device that got the most attention. Kind of makes you wonder what else was there, but if anything else was really practical that... Uh, but any attention, and one woman said she drove a hundred miles just to see what a rungless ladder looked like. Yeah, I wonder if she was. I wonder if her she was disappointed or. <laughs> yeah. <pleased>. I, <laughs> well, and it also got some national attention. Popular Science wrote it up in a, a 1964 issue that uh, was a small column on what the inventors are doing now, or something like that. It was, but there was the image of the. Rungless ladder up against the house, and <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I understand that Berger used, like you said earlier, obtained a patent for this device. Was there a lot of competition in the rungless ladder industry? Uh, absolutely none whatsoever. In fact, <laughs> well, a lot of people were interested in looking at it. Most businesses just sort of said, no, thank you. Yeah, yeah. I guess, uh, well, I, as I remember reading, you said it would take the place of scaffolding, but apparently that wasn't. Yeah, well, actually, the idea was, as he said, uh, when you're up on a ladder painting, you've got the rungs in the way if you're trying to get in between the, <laughs> the uprights of the ladder. And so this was supposed to eliminate that. I see. Now, today you could do the same thing with a genie boom or a genie lift and not even have anything up against the wall. <laughs> yeah. Paint, so. Like I said, they didn't have genie booms back then. I'm <laughs> not sure if they did or not. <laughs> but, or, well, or scaffolding. You'd have to rely on scaffolding yeah. to do that. Uh-huh. So. so how did the museum acquire this ladder? Uh, his daughter, Bonnie Hatch, uh, gave it to us in the early 1990s, uh, uh-huh. along with the patents for the, the patent records for both the ladder and the cutting device I mentioned a little while ago. So we got that. Um, Okay, so one last question. If you had to come up with a new product by taking an existing one and eliminating a key element, like to say the rung from a ladder, what would it be? You know, I've been thinking about that for a long time, ever since I wrote this essay. In fact, it's... (laughs) You know, there is sort of a genius about this because he does sort of have this thought out about trying to why you would not want those rungs in the way. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to come up with anything that sort of makes that same kind of sense. I mean, yeah, I was thinking of a paintless paintbrush, but I think it would be called a whisk broom. And, <laughs> <laughs> and my favorite would be uh, the, the waterless bath and shower. Oh. Well, that's, that's what wet wipes are for, right? Or dry, or dry cleaning. <laughs> yeah, oh, goodness. Well, I, I was thinking of, you know, maybe a bicycle with no pedals. But then maybe... I had one of those as a kid. That's not a new... <laughs> yeah, okay. All right. Well, thanks, Blair, for stopping by. You're quite welcome. <laughs>
now it's time for another round of Six Degrees of William Allen White. Joining me today is Museum Director Bob Kekeisen. Hello. And ass Assistant Registrar <laughs> Nikayla Zimmerman. Hello. Um, December 2nd is the birthday of veteran character actor Ray Walston, yep. born in 1914. And today would have been his 95th birthday. And since today is our 95th podcast, ah. yeah, see, Clever. in our warped little way, um, we saw a certain symmetry there. Yeah. So we asked you to connect him with William Allen White. Can you give us a little bit of background um, on the guy who played my favorite Martian, Bob? You bet. Well, Ray Walston uh, is a great character actor. He's one of my favorite character actors. And as you noted in your intro, uh, today would have been his 95th birthday. He was born in 1914 in New Orleans and started acting at an early age in local theatrical productions. And then his family moved to Houston, and then he was in Cleveland for a while. He was with the Cleveland Playhouse, which is a really famous regional theater. And he spent several years there before he moved on to New York. And he made his Broadway debut in 1945 in a production of Hamlet. Although he wasn't Hamlet, he essentially had a walk-on role. He's you know, one of those <laughs> traditional Shakespearean spear carriers. Uh, but anyway, so he's on Broadway in 1945, and his big break came about 10 years later when he was cast as the devil, as Mr. Applegate in the musical Damn Yankees, and he won a Tony Award for that. And then he went on and reprised that role in the 1958 Hollywood version of it with Gwen Verdon as Lola, and um, that's, a, that's a great movie. Anyway, well, among... People of a certain age, I won't give anything away here, but he's, <laughs> he's best known uh, to some of us for playing the role of Bill Bixby's uncle, and that's uncle in quotes, on the comedy series My Favorite Martian from 1963 to 66. And in that show, he was a Martian who came to Earth, and Bill Bixby was essentially hiding him by telling everyone that this is his Uncle Marty, and they got into shenanigans and things because he's a Martian and he doesn't understand the culture and all that kind of good stuff. Well, anyway. Good times. Yeah. It's kind of it like the Mork and Mindy, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is back when, you know, the Beverly Hillbillies yeah. was the you know, uh, height of comedy. Anyway, um, well, he went on to do a number of character roles, TV and movies throughout the 70s and 80s when another generation of young people discover him as Mr. Hand, the history teacher uh, who vexes Sean Penn in the 1982 movie Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Um, he returned to TV in a recurring role as Judge Henry Bone on the TV series Picket Fences, and he eventually won two Emmy Awards for that. Well, unfortunately, he passed away at age uh, 86, so he didn't make it to 95, although this would have been his birthday. He died on New Year's Day, 2001, in Beverly Hills, California. So that's Ray Walston, and we want you to connect him to William Allen White. <laughs> well, thank you, Bob. And to Kayla, you have a solution. Uh, I do. This one was hard. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> yeah. It took me longer than like five minutes, which sometimes they do. But um, Okay, so in addition to being America's favorite Martian, as Bob mentioned, um, Ray Walston had a successful stage career on Broadway. And among his credits was the play The Front Page, which was written by two Chicago reporters, Ben Hecht and Charles MacArthur. Charles MacArthur was a playwright and a screenwriter, and in the 1920s, he shared an apartment in New York with Robert Benchley, who was an author and actor himself, and um, I have to admit, was partly a Gonquin Roundtable, which we pull up all the time, <laughs> hey, but anyway, well. I'm not using that oh. directly. <laughs> so um, Benchley was friends with a man named Haywood Braun, or Brown, and um, they, they knew each other through the Roundtable. Um, but Brown, along with William Allen White, was a founding judge of the Book of the Month Club. 
And he once said that White started life with four cocktails and a highball, which is odd because White was a teetotaler. <laughs> so um, William Allen White thought that he probably meant that life had always seemed gay to him. A dazzling adventure always new, strange, puzzling, and delightful. So four cocktails and a highball equals delightful. <laughs> yeah, that's my book. <laughs> Great. Thank you, Nikayla. And Bob, would you like to issue the challenge for the next episode? Okay. Well, our next podcast will be in two weeks, and that puts us right before the Christmas season, by which time we'll all have been bombarded in every retail store with this you know, endless cacophony of Christmas music. <laughs> which has so, been happening since before Thanksgiving. Yeah, right. <laughs> you can't even get to Halloween without uh, hearing Christmas music anymore. But speaking of which, uh, do you guys know what the number one best-selling Christmas song in history is? Any ideas? No, the chipmunk. No. The chipmunk song. Not the chipmunk oh. song. Okay. Yeah. Too bad. That's a good one. <laughs> Not grandma got run up. Actually, yeah, the, the number one best-selling Christmas song of all time is White Christmas. Ah, uh, yes. The classic. So we want you to connect William Allen White to the composer of White Christmas, Irving Berlin. Great. Uh, okay, so if you think you can connect William Allen White to the composer of some of America's most hummable tunes, just send your solution to podcasts at kshs.org. That's podcasts with an S. That concludes episode 95, The Rungless Ladder. To see photos of the latter, go to our website, kshs.org, and click on podcasts. To find out about our latest podcast posting or other new artifacts and photographs acquired by the Historical Society, check out our Facebook page and become our friend. Or you can follow us on Twitter. Just search for Kansas Historical Society. Come back in two weeks when curator Blair Tarr joins us again to tell us about an 1890s Christmas cartoon depicting one clever little boy's attempt to get Santa Claus to notice his wish list. How did little Tommy get Santa's attention? Join us in two weeks to find out. This podcast has been a production of the Kansas Historical Society. Real people, real stories. Step by step, from my